Welcome to the Divine Download, friends, a place where we share stories of how ordinary people manifested extraordinary lives. I'm your host, Life Transformative Coach Rona Lalazari, and on this podcast, expect to learn from creators of incredibly real magic and also experts on the field in manifestation, law of attraction, and simply get together to learn the tools on how we can all download our greatest divine gifts and live lives that we can't wait to wake up for. Get ready to meet your best self. There's such a slippery slope that I feel if people can catch themselves at a point where they have control to make a change and hearing from somebody like you where you've seen kind of both ends of that spectrum and you're dealing with people who perhaps could have prevented this had they taken the steps to listen to their body, listen to their mind, listen to their soul, right? Um, So much of their suffering could have been averted. So I just, I feel like it's like such a right time to hear from you. And I'm just, I'm so happy you're here, honestly. Yeah, it's a tricky, it's a tricky thing because- Yeah. Sometimes, like, we don't change until we hit that painful bottom, unfortunately. Yeah. So, yeah, obviously. Um, yeah, but of course, we, there's so many things we wish that we could have done and avert crises and pain and suffering, so. Tune in to hear the remarkable story of how one man's search for personal depth led him on the path of bringing light to those battling with addiction. They are us, says Rabbi Joseph Shamash, as he sheds light on the hard reality that while not all of us may be technically addicts, we do all share similar stories with parallel challenges in finding purpose. Where do we turn to in feeling our sense of brokenness? Many turn to drugs, alcohol, work, and yes, even shopping. But what we all seek, as Joseph teaches, is universal, to find awe in life. Rabbi Joseph Shamash guides us on how he completely changed his own life around and in doing so learned that we can bring back that natural awe and natural high in our lives as we search for meaning deeper than emptiness at the surface. This conversation touched my soul so powerfully, you just can't miss it. Beautiful friends, I am so excited for our guest today. Rabbi Joseph Shamash is here with us. He is the Jewish Persian cowboy. Born in Dallas, Texas to Iranian immigrants, he has lived most of his adult life in L.A. and graduated from UCLA with a B.A. in sociology. Joseph's first career was in the entertainment industry, where he fused his passion for sports and storytelling as an editor for the Dan Patrick Show, Fox Sports, and yes, even TMZ. Joseph is an award-winning filmmaker and creator of viral films with The One Wish Project. After years of soul-searching and many backpacking trips abroad, can't wait to hear about those, he fell in love with Jewish learning, meditation, and Hebrew calligraphy at the Pardes Institute of Jewish Studies in Jerusalem, which kick-started his path to becoming a rabbi. He received rabbinic ordination from the Ziegler School of Rabbinic Studies, along with his master's in education from American Jewish University. Nothing excites him more than helping others live a meaningful life and he currently serves as the interim community rabbi at Beit Shuva, a full-time Jewish residential treatment facility that helps save the lives of those struggling with addiction. Joseph lives in LA with his wife, Allie, and their two wonderful kids, Benjamin and Lucy. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Quite the intro, and I know there's so many facets to that, so can't wait to, to dig in. And I just, I wanted the guests to understand a bit of context of what we're doing in this space is really shedding light on those who otherwise, you know, would have lived ordinary day-to-day lives, but something along the path brought them to a light that they have chosen to step into. And Joseph is one of these stories. And I, I, it is my greatest desire that his story impacts all of us to make sure we hear that calling and have the courage to step forward right? And really step into it to serve the people who, who really need us. So thank you for being here. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you for holding this podcast so that right, we get to share those stories and voices. And, and you know, Absolutely. It's my greatest honor. My greatest honor. So tell me, you're, you're explaining yourself as a Jewish Persian cowboy. I want to hear more about that. Yeah. I mean, there weren't very many of us Persian Jews living in Dallas, Texas in the 80s. So my parents who came from Iran, they actually they had my brother in Florida um, before me. 
but then they went back to Iran in the late 70s, right before the revolution. Mm -hmm. And when they were trying to figure out, okay, where do we go in this amazing land of opportunity? My father had a friend in Dallas, Texas, who said, come, we can start a business. And there they decided to pick up and leave and mm -hmm. settle there. And so there's these, these three parts of my identity that are always, you know, battling each other, the Jewish part, the American part, uh, the cowboy, right? Mm. And then this Persian piece of me that um, until we moved to Los Angeles never really grew and flourished. So mm. I never felt like I, I belonged. I was trying to fit in. And the more I can integrate those different parts of who I am and really honor all of them as, as my unique self, that's uh that's me coming through i have a little bit of a rebel side as well so mm -hmm. um yeah it's just a really it's a nice way of summing up um a, a portion a part of who i am and how i try to be in the world were you raised tell me about your like religious spiritual background were you raised as a spiritual kid or religious kid or yeah so I, my parents like most persian jews right very traditional cared very deeply about judaism went to day school until I was 13. Um, but it was a very different kind of, I, I grew up in Texas. Again, there was not very many Persians. There was the Ashkenazi traditional Judaism that we encountered, which was very different than our Mizrahi, vibrant Persian uh, family lifestyle. And, and um, so there was a disconnect there. And um, I actually, I actually got expelled from my day school here in Los Angeles for starting mm. a fire. Mm. Oh my goodness! Um, yes. Yeah, so that that's would happen. Like the, the troublemaker in me. Um, part of it was I was just a 13-year-old kid that liked to play with fire, and I had a group of friends that we were, you know, being idiots. Yeah, note to self, like for any kid who was whoever does bad in school, right? I, my, the rabbi was writing on the chalkboard and I was lighting hairspray on fire oh behind gosh. him. And he had wow. no idea, right? Wow. So I eventually got expelled and my parents, to their credit, showed up every single day at the school asking for me to get another chance. Hmm. And because I was one of the kids who was on scholarship, um, I didn't have the wealthy family to make sure I got back in. Mm. And after about a month, the, the rabbi, Rabbi Gottesman, mm. his memory be a blessing. He said, you know what? He's a good kid. He deserves a second chance. Wow. And so you were at Hillel. Was it Hillel? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And so that was like my, the very first experience I had with, with, with Chuva, with the opportunity of somebody saying, okay, he, he made a mistake. Mm -hmm. Now it, that's not going to, that's not going to recluse him for every, any other opportunity. How do we bring him back in and give him another chance? Wow. I love that. I love that. Tell me more about as you grew up, I know, again, kind of off the, probably off the beaten path, you were, had your own sort of way of doing things. Did it stop here at this, when you were expelled or kind of carried throughout? Yeah, I think there was, um, I'll, I'll frame it in the sense of, I see how my parents came to this country with nothing and how hard they worked to give my, me and my brother a better life. And Persians are so entrepreneurial, mm -hmm. right? We're so, we're, we're not going to we're not going to take the status quo and we'll, we'll figure out a way to sometimes maybe manipulate sometimes, uh, you know, in, in good and bad ways. And, sure. and I saw that, um, my, that, that desire, that will that my parents had for my growth mm -hmm. and my success. And at the same time, when I saw that, um, I had reached a success, a success that they were looking for, right? Financial success, really um, security, but there wasn't that fulfillment. Mm -hmm. There wasn't that piece that really said at the end of the day, like I'm happy with what I'm doing with my life. I can, mm -hmm. I'm making the world a better place. Mm -hmm. There was that piece of, okay, I'm ready to, I'm ready to switch things up and, and throw everything away in the pursuit of something greater. 
What year, how, where were you in your life when that happened? When kind of like everything changed? Tell us how that worked out. And sure, how that, that came about. was probably around, I was at age 31. Mm-hmm. I was working for the Dan Patrick show on direct TV. Um, so you made it in the entertainment industry. You made your parents proud. You're bringing in the dough. You're I on had paper insurance. happy, right? I had insurance. Right, during you the, had insurance. During a global recession, right? that um, I was making, I was had security. Mm. And again, like there was something inside me that was, that I was seeking mm. and I was trying to find who I am and what I, what my calling is, what my purpose is, how to make sense of the struggles and suffering of my life. Right. Mm. And, and the difficulties that, that came about. And, um, and I had a, and I was really, this was like, this is a little bit later, like I, I already had already started my Jewish journey in my late twenties after, you know, and we've talked about this before, but after a series of manic episodes, which yeah, really, really love to hear those, if you don't mind sharing kind of what that was about. Sure. Yeah. Like, and I think that's part of it, right. I, I, after doing my initial soul searching, um, I wanted to go deep in my understanding of Judaism. And so at 31, that's when I left the Dan Patrick show went to study at Jerusalem and really found a voice in Judaism that I'd never encountered before. Mm. And it gave me such deep, rich meaning that um, really enabled me to take that, that step along my own Jewish journey and my own life journey to say, okay, I can, I can move beyond the entertainment industry, the, the filmmaker part of me and the creative part of me to, to the rabbi, to the teacher, to mm-hmm. somebody who offers, who, somebody who can heal. Um, and so that was a big shift. What were those, if you could take us back, if you're comfortable, obviously, um, where you mentioned, because you and I talked about this, those manic episodes, because I think it would really help those who are listening to say, oh, you know what, I relate to that. That happened to me. And I kind of just shoved it under the rug, right? And I kept going and I, I'm okay. I'm fine. I'm fine. Everything's fine but you really kind of brought it to the surface to say this signal to me that I'm not fine. Tell us about those episodes and kind of where where they came from. Sure. So the first one was March 17th, 2003. It was the day that the United States declared war in Iraq. Hmm. I had, I had recently come back from Los Angeles after uh, five months studying abroad in, in Italy, in Europe, right? So it was the first time I was abroad, the first time I was away from anybody. I had this opportunity to be anybody I wanted to be. And it really gave me the freedom to be myself. Mm. Had these incredible peak experiences all the, all the time, living in wonder while traveling, right? Right. And then I come back to Los Angeles and uh, I didn't have structure. I didn't have community. Uh, nobody cared about about my stories, right? This is a pre-Facebook era mm-hmm. where, uh, you know, like I had all these pictures and all these stories and all this growth and everybody was just busy with their day-to-day. That was my perception, mm-hmm. right? So I came back feeling like I was, I was different. I, I changed. I didn't want the same mm-hmm. life. And yet the people that I were surrounded by were still the same. Right. It's hard so to I, relate hard to relate. I felt disconnected and uh, I, I fell into a really deep depression mm. and with a combination of depression, um, not sleeping, mm. uh, alcohol, and then I smoked weed. Mm-hmm. And those four um, factors were, were all the like essential ingredients of a manic episode for me. Mm. And so that was the first one. And again, like chaos in the world, right? What's going on in the world? What are we about to enter into? Mm-hmm. Um, instability all around. Yeah. Instability, not being able to make sense of society, mm-hmm. of my role, and, and what's going to be done in the name of our country, right? How does a, how does a 22-year-old grapple with all these these questions all at once and when there was no outlet it led to right my own demise in a way my own madness my own loss I wonder if you see that now where 
we have a parallel in the sense of the instability in the world and like COVID and everyone's kind of like, what is going on? Like, I can't wrap my hands around my head around, like what our future entails. And I, I wonder if you can look at 20 year olds and say, oh my gosh, that was me. Like, I see so many who were, I was, are now. And like how you handle that when you see that, are you like a high alarm? Like we need to do something for this demographic. Yeah, nothing's changed and everything's changed, you know? Yeah. Um, absolutely. I, I think there's never, you know, there's never going to be a time in the world where there's not some kind of crisis, when there's not some form of human suffering. And how do we cope with that? Mm. How do we right. stay grounded? How do, right. we, how do we have hope? How do we make meaning and understanding? And at the same time, right? Like show up to our jobs, show up to our families and be present with the thing that is in front of us. Mm -hmm. So, so it's a, it's a spiritual skill of, of hope, right? It's a spiritual skill of being present, of acceptance, of saying, okay, I'm responsible for what I'm responsible for. The rest I have to give up to God. The rest I have to surrender. And that's, that's hard. Right. Yeah. I mean, I see it in in my work too, where the part where people get stuck the most is how do I surrender? But I have this desire, but I have to know exactly how and when it's going to happen. And those are the two pieces. I always say, that's what you surrender. You Mm -hmm. focus on your desire. You get excited by the intention and you let Hashem, God, the universe, whatever spirit you guys, however you want, want to term it let that energy lead the way. Right. And it's so interesting how at this point, I wonder, and if you could point to, because so many guests that I bring on this show, they have the perspective now to say, I needed to go through that challenge in order to get to the point where I am now, where I can teach and where I can have a you know institution or where I could have a forum like this, where I can connect to people. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me how you were able to pivot from that darkness and eventually lead to this point of being able to use it, your pain for purpose? Yeah, I think that's such an important question. Um, I wouldn't be where I am now if it wasn't for those experiences, right? There, you know, and again, the manic episodes that led to a UCLA psych ward visit, right? No, but I wouldn't wish that upon anybody. Wow. And at the same time, like the process of going through the shame that is associated with that, the, the, the brokenness that is associated with that, and the spiritual journey of healing because of that, it, it's the journey, mm. right? And, and the more, and again, like, we were, you know, the surrender piece, the more I have been able to invite something greater than myself, right? Invite God in. Um, the, one of the concepts that I really love um, thinking of God right now is surrendering to the unfolding of life, right? If, mm-hmm. The more I can surrender to the unfolding of life, which I think is what, you know, the name that God revealed himself to Moses at the burning bush, right? I will be that which I will be, right? There's this, there's this unfolding that happens, and the, the more I can go along with that and see that those times of suffering are actually wake-up calls, they're, they're like, in my mind, it was God slapping me in the face saying, like, I, I need to make a change. Mm. What I'm doing in my life right now is not working. There's something, there's something greater for you. There's something better. Go, go journey. Go figure that out. And... I'm really like what I'm really what I'm so grateful and, and blessed for is that I had the opportunity to do that. Mm-hmm. I had the opportunity. I had family, the support, the resources, and the willingness that I that I was able to say, okay, I'm gonna go do this. And that has been the most valuable lesson I've ever learned. So when you were sitting in that UCLA psych ward, yeah. at what point did you say, okay? I'm going to use this and I'm going to find my purpose. I'm going to go to Israel. I'm going to like, was it 
something that hit you then or was it over time? Was it, did it take the next two or three episodes for you to make that shift? Yeah. It's a, it's, it was a much slower process. Um, I'll say for me, right. So I, I came out of the psych ward and I was completely broken. I couldn't look my parents in the eyes. I, mm. I was full of shame, full of regret, um, full of sadness. Um, and was put on a variety of medications and I was numb. Mm. And um, thankfully I was able to spend, I took some time off of school. I moved back in with my parents. I learned to play the piano. Mm. That was my, that was my recovery at that point as I was trying to figure out um, what the next step was. Mm. I knew that um, I knew that spirituality was really crucial for me because despite the fact that at that point I didn't want anything to do with religion, mm. the, the mania, there was, I, there was this connection that I couldn't name and it was masked in madness that I had to explore. Mm. So that really, that really brought about the, the spiritual seeking, mm-hmm. but it was a very, very slow process. It was, process. It, was, it was, uh, you know, I'm going to get this, I'm going to work on this and then I'm going to work on that. And then, you know, finish school and get a job and then, okay, two years at this job. No, that's not it. Let me go find something else. Let me, let me, you know, I quit multiple jobs and went and traveled, right. Um, lived at my parents so I could save money to go do that all the time. Right. Mm -hmm. So there was, there was a, a spiritual seeking that I kept on coming back to which was, um, again, right. But I, but I don't, if I didn't have that suffering, right. If if I didn't hit that Mm. bottom, I don't know if I, I would have had the urgency. Mm. So that's, yeah. yeah. I mean, it makes so much sense. And that now being in the facility that you you're in, where you're dealing with, you know, addicts and people who, I, I wonder if you see yourself in them in, in certain parts of their evolution and being able to really say, I really understand where you are. I've been there. And mm-hmm. it probably gives them a sense of hope that, okay, if you got through this and now you're on the other end, they can too. Yeah, absolutely. There's, um, there's like a foundational text, a story that, um, that I share a lot with my residents. And it's, there's a a disciple comes to his rabbi who is an amazing rabbi that is friends and and is able to connect with thieves and criminals and people from the the lower walks of life. And his disciple asks him, rabbi, how are you such a noble saintly individual able to connect and, and learn with and be with these low lives? Mm. And he says to the disciple, he says, when I, when I meet with them, I listen closely. I look into their eyes and I see myself. Mm. And while I might not have done what they have done, I can see their desires, their temptations, their mis- their shortcomings as similar to ones that I encounter and struggle mm. with. Mm. And then he says that one thing, he says, once there was a man that came and despite my own searching, I couldn't find anything in common that I had with this person. Hmm. And then I knew the truth. One, I was either not telling, I was not being honest with myself or two, I was not, I was uncertain. I hadn't been revealed about something unconscious about myself. Hmm. So we're all mirrors, Mm -hmm. right? Whether you're an addict in recovery, whether you're a criminal, whether you're a normie, as we call it, right? We're all human. We all have, temptations, desires, brokenness. And the more we are able to see ourselves in another person's story, the more we're able to connect soul to soul is what we talk about here at Beit Shuba. Mm-hmm. The more we, we are both healed by the process. Yeah, it actually goes into the next question I was going to ask you, um, which is really, you know, what you learn the most from patients that come in, because you know, I know when we spoke earlier, you mentioned something that really spoke to me. You said with the people you work with, you find there's a common thread, right? Which is that brokenness that you shared with me. And 
that self-talk that I'm not enough. And, you know, the question is like you posed, you said, well, it, it comes down to what do we consume ourselves with, right? When we hear these lies in our head and these narratives playing um, in our consciousness and is it drugs? Is it alcohol? Is it shopping on Amazon? Is it work? Right? So we all look for these distractions or outlets where we try to fill that void. So tell me what you see when you talk, as, as I know you've learned so much in, in these, in these patients that come through the door and it, are there lessons for us all who are really feeling broken and perhaps aren't finding, and we could fill ourselves up with trophies and accolades and certificates all day long, right? To hang on our walls. Yet at the end of the night, we're shopping, you know, on Amazon because we're still lacking and we're mm-hmm. still unfulfilled or we're, you know, drugs, alcohol, whatever it is. So what can you, what are, what are the parallels first and, and where can we find that fill? How do we take our first step to really finding that true deep fulfillment. So we don't need to look for those, you know, external sources. Right. So first of all, right. The, our community of addicts and recovery here at Bechuba, they're, they're just like, they're us. They're, they are a, a, a demo conglomerate of the most diverse people you will see, right. By race, religion, demographic, age, whatever religion, you don't, you, you name it. It's, it's all of us. Mm-hmm. And, and so there's a lot we can learn from them because it's our own story too. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel talks about, um, he talked about this 50 years ago, back in 1971, that the addict in our society is actually there to teach us about our search for exaltation, mm. right? An addict wants to get high because wants to celebrate life in a way. Mm. And, and what are we doing to be in wonder, right? Religion, synagogue life, Judaism, there are moments where we are supposed to be expressing and feeling this sense of holiness of wonder of elevation right where now as a society what do we do we go out and we get a drink i want to celebrate with Chaim. let's go love that yes but but you know and this is where i had a gift from my dad my dad would be like you know why do you need to go drink just go get high on life Mm. and and i think hi go get high (laughs) right go get high on life Mm. but we've lost that in a lot of ways. I absolutely love that. So, so I think that's, right, we talk about here at Beit Shuba, how do you have fun in sobriety? Can we have fun without a drink in our hand? Can we have fun without smoking weed or having, you know, the fanciest clothes, right? Mm. Let, let's, let's relearn what it means to enjoy being alive. Can I, can I go outside and feel the suns on, on my body? Can I be in wonder at the sound of the birds chirping? Oh, I absolutely love this. This speaks so much to me because it's the desensitized that we, we've been desensitized, right? Where like those things don't, they, we don't feel them anymore. And it's like just the touch of a friend, right? Like the, the look in the eye of somebody who cares for you, just the five minutes of a pause in our day to just like breathe things that we really have um, taken for granted. And we, we don't stop and allow it to really raise our vibration. And we think so many times where it has to be so hard, like mm-hmm. for me to feel happy, I have to, you know, my knees and elbows need to be scraped and, and, and bleeding until I know I've done a successful, you know, day of work and then I can feel joy. And it's like, what if it's the exact opposite? What if it's really, like you said, finding this, you know, this high on just stepping out and, and letting the sun beam on your face? Like, wow, that's so powerful. That's so powerful. Yeah, I think we I think we get trapped in the if only I if only X then Y. Mm. Right? I will be happy when. And the the shift is okay, despite what might 
B, I choose how to be. I choose my happiness. I choose a path of surrender and connection in this moment. I choose to practice gratitude when I'm sad. And, and, and that's hard. I choose to be in hope when all around me is destruction. It, it's, it's a practice and we don't always, you know, we don't know, it, it all, it, you know, we're all human. We mm-hmm. all miss the mark. It's no, it's not a perfection piece, but if we're, if we're always chasing something, there's, there's a never ending amount that we can be chasing. I'll, yeah. I'll say this. I, you know, I get nervous when, uh, to getting on airplanes, right? Like I have two young kids, got to pack everything up. we got to get on the right. And until I can sit on the plane and we're all buckled, then I can exhale. Mm. And the whole time I'm making my wife and myself and my kids miserable because we got, we got to go, we got to go. Right. And, and like I've, I've started to practice. I'm like, okay, I got, I got to breathe. I just got to relax. And like, we'll make it. I don't need to make the entire process of my, of getting on once I've arrived mm-hmm. right, to be terrible. So, mm-hmm. so the practice of that pause in between is life-changing because then we're enjoying the experience. What's the first step somebody who's listening, right? Who's like, okay, I can resonate with that. I want to bring more of a natural high to my daily life. Where can they start? Step one. Step one, it doesn't matter where you start. Mm. Just do something. And give yourself credit for doing that something. Um, for me, it was prayer. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my one of my teachers um, gave me a great practice called Hipodidu, which was a, a Hasidic practice that was created by Rabbi Nachman of Breslov, mm-hmm. where you go out into nature and you just talk. You just talk to God, right? Put on headphones so people don't think you're crazy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Find some nature here if you're in Los Angeles, wherever you are, but like better in nature or even in the middle of a crazy, busy city, just get it out. For me, prayer was a huge, huge step. But for others, it's, you know, exercise, eating well, going to see a comedy show, Mm -hmm. right? Having coffee with friends, like that is a spiritual practice. Fun is a spiritual practice. It, so doing art, it doesn't really matter. In my mind, it doesn't matter what you do as long as you do something and give yourself credit and time for really taking care of your soul. What feeds you? I love that. I love that. I think the first part is the acknowledgement, right? Where we're I think we have to stop and understand that what we really want is not, maybe not so much the success for the success sake, but we want the thrill, the excitement, the to feel like we're alive, to feel like we're part of something greater. Mm-hmm. And knowing that there are other ways to fill that, um, being a part of a community, right? I know you and I talked about that and why COVID was so hard for many of these addicts. And I'd love for you to elaborate on that was this sense that they were in isolation and you shared a really good quote. Um, and I, I don't want to butcher it. Yeah. From you on, if you could share about what the opposite of, um, of uh, addiction really is and how community is a part of that. Sure. Yeah. So the, so Johan Hari has done really incredible work on addiction and, we actually had him here at a conference um, during the pandemic, but his his line is the opposite of addiction isn't sobriety. The opposite of addiction is connection. Mm-hmm. And I think, it, again, it goes back to how we are hardwired for connection. And right, this is this is what the Torah talks about in, in Genesis, right? There's only two times it says lotov in the Torah. The first one is lotov liot adam levado. It's not good for mankind to be alone. Okay. 
So mm. we're hardwired for connection. We're hardwired to, to be bound to something. And again, when we have that, that emptiness, that loneliness, what are we going to bind to? Is it drugs, alcohol, consumption, fill in the blank. And for our community, the recovery community, connection is the key to that transformation, right? Mm -hmm. If I have a choice between, you know, my terrible life with no opportunity, no hope, right? No community. Yeah. I'm going to choose drugs. I'm going to choose to escape. But if I have an opportunity to connect with community, to have a job, to have opportunity presented to me, I'm more likely to be able to say no to my addiction and engage in other kind of behavior. So, so that's the huge, that's the healing impact of our, of our community. That's really the, the, the magic sauce mm-hmm. is connection. And, and during a pandemic, when we move from an in-person space to a complete virtual environment where sadly our residents were in their room for 20 hours, mm-hmm. if not more, um, and people outside, again, we were, we were separated from our communities, our families, our, our activities that kept us whole. Mm. It was a breeding ground for, for more addiction, right? We were getting paid for the gov- by the government to not show up at work, mm. Mm. no accountability, and people wanted to escape the madness of an uncertainty that COVID provided. So that's where you saw over a hundred thousand, you know, overdose deaths Ugh. in the United States this last year. Wow, they were stripped of the sense of belonging to something greater. Correct. Yeah, it's so interesting because flip side of that, where I sort of entered this space of life coaching and creating these these um, groups of of support came out of COVID, where you know, it was the first time where people couldn't escape to the external world where we usually get distracted by like, oh, we have a party tomorrow night and another party the next night. And I have to get an outfit for this. And what happens when the outside world is shut off is the internal is amplified. And all of a sudden you have all these people who are like, oh, now I have to kind of deal with the stuff I didn't want to deal with. And you saw that in marriages, right? Where a lot that was shoved under the rug was all of a sudden, okay, we got to talk about this because you're in each other's face and you can't really escape. And um, what a lot of what I noticed and why I started doing a lot of Instagram lives and kind of creating a community on Instagram, what started all this was this idea that like, we kind of have to figure it out together because it was the first time people were willing to say, I have no idea what I'm doing. And I am so scared and I am so lost. And people who seem like they had it all together and had the cute matchy outfits with their kids on Instagram and the box lunches with it, you know, all of a sudden they were the ones to come and say, wait, I'm just kidding. Like no filters. I'm struggling just like you are. And this new community came about, which was this authentic, right? A very honest and, and raw community of people who said, let's let's try to make the best of what we have together let's try to pull together and really be a support system rather than a one up system and that was so interesting for me and that's why i was like i got to jump on this because how rare for especially you see in like the persian community here in la where there's so much filter yeah. so it was like how rare to finally get people to say hey help let's all figure it out together. I'm not better than you. We're all in this together. I, I think what you're describing is one of the gifts that yeah. provided in, in the crazy way that right we're hit, hitting a million deaths and the destruction that it caused, but it, it forced a lot of us to really step back and say, okay, what is true to my core values? What are, what is really important? How, what's the yeah. life I really want to live? Because we were all dealing with it. It it wasn't just, you know, a select few of people who are dealing with COVID. It's a pandemic. Mm. And in in that regard, right, like, again, sometimes the things that bring about the most pain and suffering 
bring about that transformation. Right. So call right. a vote to you for you. for being willing to make that shift too. Thank you. No, it was definitely a calling, you know, and I know you understand that when you feel like you were put in the space at a certain time to make the impact that was needed. And I see it in no other way than a vessel, right? Through which I was meant to share and to bring together. So um, I just felt blessed in that I could be in that position, you know, and that I could recognize the calling. And that's really the whole purpose of this podcast. And in general, the work I do and why it was, you know, compelled to connect with you is this, we have to hear those callings. And, and when the universe, you know, listen, when the universe whispers, so you don't have to hear it scream, right. Where it's like, listen to the tugs that are like, Hey, I think there's something here for you. I think there's more, I think you're capable of more. And and why certain things are, are more attractive to us than others, right? And why certain experiences might keep reoccurring. And we're like, what is this purpose? Is And really just being able to stop and say, okay, I am here for a reason. This is happening for a reason. The universe has my back, always has my back. So what is the message here that is meant for my highest good? What was that moment for you where, where you heard that whisper, where it, was, where it felt like that calling? COVID. It was a lockdown. It was a lockdown and people were like, Rona, we, we need some like guidance here. And, you know, I was, I was always involved in the community. I was always an activist and, you know, trying to bring people together and blogging about motherhood and all of that. And I remember a few people during like the first month said, okay, can you make sense for everyone here? Like we need you. I was like, oh, you know, I don't have the answers, but I could get people together that might, you know, I might have access to people who otherwise wouldn't come to a platform like this. So, you know, even knowing that I think you can be a part of something greater, you don't have to have the answers, right? And I'm sure you probably reached that point too, where you're like, if you wait to have all the answers, you're going to wait your whole life. But can I maybe be a step ahead where I can turn back and say, Hey, let me help you cross this one stepping stone to the next one. Cause I, I was just there, right? I don't need to, I mean, you don't need to cross the whole bridge, but I can get you to the next stone and then the next stone, and then you're on your way. You know, we can figure it out together. I love that because you're not, you're not letting what you can't do prevent you from what you can do. Yeah. And and I think we shoot ourselves in the foot before we even start in a lot of ways. No, 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 no. It's too big of a task, but all right. What, what we say here at Beit Shuva, right. Um, it, It might be a little, uh, graphic, but fuck your feelings and do the next right thing. Mm, um, I love that because because if I let my feelings determine what is what uh what's going to happen, then I lose my choice. Mm. I, and I want my soul to be the arbiter of my choice and my destiny, not my fear, not my mm. not good enoughness, right? And and if okay, I can't see the I can't cross that whole river but i can i can put one stone in the ocean and Mm. begin this journey okay let me do that that's enough right now i love 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 that and it's so important and and it's interesting because what i do in my practice the one of the things i always talk about is don't take your cues from how you're feeling now take your cues on how to act based on how you want to feel right Mm. because if we just take our cues from how we feel right now well i don't feel like doing anything I'm not worthy. I'm not good. I'm not. How do you want to feel? Take the actions that will lead you there. Right. Love it. Yeah. yeah. I, what I want to do is I want to sleep and watch Netflix all, <laughs> all day. day. All day. Same. You know? Yeah. It's all a, day long. Yeah. We're, we're constantly having to get out of our own way and being like, okay, well, that's not where I want to be. So here we are. I love that. I love that. And I think there's so much that we can learn from you and your experience. And, you know, the, the idea that we all have pieces that we are trying to put together and being graceful with ourselves, like you mentioned, and recognizing the effort and the work that we are doing, right. Being able to say, Hey, I just listened to this podcast, go me, right. I could have been blasting 
you know, Kiss FM and listening to the latest pop music, but I did something for my soul mm-hmm. and to ga- give yourself the credit and the kudos and keep going, right? Like use that momentum and mm-hmm. taking that next step, like you were mentioning. So I absolutely love it. And, you know, if you could leave us all here with a piece of, of wisdom, and, and I do want you also, because I'm sure there are people who are listening who may know loved ones that may be possible addicts, right? And so I do want to give a little more practical kind of advice for those, how A, you can tell if somebody you're living with or that or you're close to is a possible, you know, addict that needs needs real uh, treatment and B, what can they do for those people in their lives that that uh, might be faced with with some of the harder challenges? Sure. Yeah. So so practically this is this is a challenge, right? Sometimes loved ones don't know because addicts are really good at hiding, mm. right? Really good at being functional in one area of life. And then another part is completely unraveled. Um, and so the, the like standard method is like when, when your life becomes unmanageable mm. and, and the, the best thing that we can do, right? There's a line in Psalms that says, Oh, have a nice sinura that lovers of God hate evil. And, and the rabbis are very clear, like, you hate evil, but not the evildoer. Mm. So unfortunately, there's a lot of shame and um, dismissiveness and othering that is done for addicts, that what's wrong with you? Mm. Why are you doing this to yourself and to the family? And it's to be able to... to to see that maybe the, the choices are made are not wise choices, but that they aren't evil, mm-hmm. right? They, they haven't, there's nothing bad about an addict, right? They're, they're struggling with what it means to be human and dealing with the brokenness of our lives. And again, when you hear their stories, you, you can relate a lot more to some of the, why, the reasons why they make some of the choices they make. So, so that's one thing. The other thing is um, you can never work harder in, in, in their recovery. Mm. So sometimes you got to let the person you love the most fall. Mm. And that's hard. You got to let them go on their journey to hit bottom so that they're willing to do the heavy lifting and deep digging of being in recovery Mm. and to be able to love without enabling, to be able to step back and let go and see your loved one perpetuate their own suffering. uh, That's, Mm. that is the hardest thing to do, but sometimes it is the most loving thing to say, I love you enough that I'm going to let you make your own decisions. Mm. And then send them to Beit Shuba so that we can help them, you know, mm-hmm. and, and find, give them the number so that they call and we can support. I'm going to post your, all your info and where they can find you um, so that you could be obviously a resource for those who need it and, and a personal resource for anyone who wants to reach out because you just have so much wisdom that I would love everyone to, to connect to you on some level. Um, what would you want to leave everyone with kind of a final thought, final word of inspiration, something to, uh, keep perspective in these challenging times? Yeah. So one of the, one of the weekly exercises that we do here, it's called Cheshbona Nefesh. It's literally means accounting of the soul. Mm -hmm. And every Friday we fill out sheets that are two-sided on one side. It's what we, what we did well, how did we hit the mark? And on the other side, it's how we missed the mark, mm. right? So to be able to reflect right on, right before Shabbat, right before the end of the week of, hey, giving ourselves credit for one thing that we did to live well. Because I know, I don't know about you, Rona, but it's a hell of a lot easier for me to look at the miss the mark and see all the things that I didn't do well that weren't enough. But to be able to to do both, right? A a real accounting has both assets and liabilities. Mm. And so we really, really, in my mind, to go through the process of both and refining our assets and really giving credit for our spiritual bank account and also the work that we need to do to transform the liabilities. And that's the the power of Chuba. 
And I love that one can actually help the other because when you have an accountability of your assets, right? And you, and I call it the I can story, the stories that you nailed it, you did it, you showed up, right? And you, you were able to really get yourself on that high vibration, regardless of what was going on that can fuel you right through those. I missed the marks, but you know what? I have the story of how I was able to get it and I'm going to hit it next time. So I love that juxtaposition. It's, it's such a powerful one. Yeah. They're usually, they're usually two sides of the same coin. Yeah, it's true. And so so when we miss the mark, okay, if we learn something from it, then it's no longer miss the mark. Right. It's fuel for hitting the next one. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I could do this forever. This is so amazing. You, you lit up my soul and I am so grateful. Our paths crossed. I really, I wish you all the success in the universe and that Hashem gives you the strength to have the courage showing up each day. It's not easy. Um, And we are all the the luckier and blessed that we have people like you really in, in this world. So thank you. Likewise. Thank you for you. And, and you know, if this saves one life, mm-hmm. how wonderful. So thank Absolutely. you for what you're doing and may the healing continue. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful day. Thanks, Rama. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Rabbi Shamash unlocks how we are all trying to fill our sense of brokenness with external substances, whether drugs, alcohol, work, or even shopping. Here are my key takeaways from our powerful conversation. They are us. The story of addiction carries a relatable parallel to us all, a sense of brokenness and emptiness we all face at different points of life. Joseph's advice on turning to prayer, finding community, and searching for ways to naturally get high in the awe of the universe around us can help elevate us through these challenges. Don't forget your cheshbon hanefesh, where you can give yourself a real accounting of all the good you've done as well, and give yourself a chance to not be so hard on yourself. Remind yourself of your accomplishments and give yourself grace. If you are dealing with addiction or know someone who is, or even want to just connect on some points he discussed today, Rabbi Shamash's door is always open for you. Please connect via email jshamash, J-S-H-A-M, as in Mary, A-S-H, at baitshuva.org, or phone at 310-204-5200, extension 261. You can also join him for a Shabbat service at Beit Shuva every Friday night at 6.30. All the info here is posted in the description of my podcast show today, so please refer back there at any point. God bless you all, and until next time, it has been my honor. I am your host, Rona Lalazari. Looking for more? Find me on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram at Rona Lalazari.